It's Reese Parkinson here and welcome to How I Got Here. I'm excited for this. It's Westfield's new podcast series, exploring unique and inspirational careers. Westfield has some of the largest shopping centres across the world and are key destinations in their local cities and communities. They're extraordinary places where visitors come together to shop, dine, be entertained and create lasting memories. Westfield and its partners are some of the biggest employers in the areas in which they operate, with thousands of jobs under one roof across a range of industries and sectors, from fashion to finance, customer service to construction. Over the course of eight episodes, I'll be speaking to some amazing entrepreneurs and business owners. From cool brands like Gymbox, Pan and Ice, and Bexfus, to not-for-profit organization Love Not Landfill. So join us as we hear from the people behind the brand. Philip Taylor, CEO and founder of Carbon Theory, one of the top-selling medicated skincare ranges in the UK and US in under two years. From making soap in his kitchen to overnight sensation, from a feature on the Daily Mail, yes, you heard right, the Daily Mail. I'm really excited to hear more about his journey. The How I Got Here podcast. Uh, right now, we are joined by Philip Taylor, CEO and founder of Carp. You smiled when I said he's like, yeah, I am. I am. Um, Still find it really satisfying when I hear it. It's like... <laughs> Um, Carbon Theory, uh, how you doing, mate? You're good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit tired. We just um, come back off a three day campaign shoot. So, um, oh, wow. so it's been a long, long weekend, but I'm sure the results are going to be phenomenal. So we're super excited about that. Which was in in London, or yeah, everywhere. So we're out in Essex for one part of it because we just sponsored a football team as well. Oh, uh, which one? Um, the Victoria Park Vixens. So it's a female football team. So we're super excited about that. Um, so we shot out in Ilford in Essex at this workman's club without a lot of football pitches and stuff. So we've done some great stuff there, and then we're in studio in Wilsden Junction. Yes, no, that was Saturday, and then yesterday we were down in Clerkenwell at a place down there. So okay. it's been, um, yeah, big crew, big team, um, a lot of traveling, um, but very, very cool. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, awesome. Well, your story is fascinating. I mean, I was going to say uh, we could talk about the pub story, which we were talking <laughs> a minute ago, but it's not just going to old pubs, because Absolutely. in the space of two years, you went from working in sales to this... Yep incredible business so i guess like let's really just go straight into your story you seem already from talking to you just before he's really determined guy do you know what i mean yeah. um and obviously your experience on the apprentice as well so two years ago let's, let's go back two years was it a kind of spark in your brain it was like this is it this is this is what my business um i think yeah if you go back to a point i think which was just over i think it was over two and a half years ago but the um the initial idea came, um, I'd just been reading it. I'm an avid reader, shamefully, of the Daily Mail um, on my right. lunchtime. I used to love sitting there reading that. I just read a lot of media around um, young people who were suffering with breakouts and acne. And I could sort of um, sympathize with it because when I was a kid, I had the same issue. You know, same. a lot of people do, don't they? And it's, a, you know, it's and the same with adults as well today. You know, it's a, it's a huge, huge thing for people. And um, I'd read a lot of articles around um, breakouts and acne, and in particular, how these kids are going to GPs and getting these really um, aggressive drugs. Um, yeah, 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 to cope yeah. with it, and um, and they have awful effects on the body. You know, they dry your skin out awfully in in the first instance, and if you know, if you're a girl or female, you know, they have, it can change your menstrual cycle. It does all sorts of weird things to you. And I was just you know looking at this. Why did, has that become the first protocol these days, where some kids just need a solution that will just get your skin as clean as possible in the first instance and make that your first port of call? And um, you know, a lot of kids that live in environments like London. 
and the subject of pollution that can you know that can affect your skin severely and, and cause acne and breakouts. So I wanted to hide this idea. It was like, why isn't it just something that's super cheap, super affordable, um, that's unisex, um, that could be a solution to just get your skin as clean as possible? And that's where the idea came from. In how did so? How did you then go about selling that? In terms of what was the? Because literally, like you said, everyone just wants six pack abs in two, yeah, yeah. two weeks. But that's yeah, just the world we live in because well, we can order anything and get it delivered tomorrow. So why yeah. can't my skin get delivered? So I think it was about coming up with a unique um, concept and I think, and also creating a brand that would resonate with the sort of millennial Gen Z audience. And I think the, the category that we sit in, which is medicated skincare, you know, you have brands that have been in there owned by big pharma companies for a lot of years um, who have made a lot of money selling really awful products to young people um, that are very dated brands. And what I wanted to try and do was create something that was fresh and unique to go into that category. Um, and predominantly, the, you know, in those categories, the, you know, people for the last 20, 30 years, people didn't use bar soap anymore to, to wash the face. It's always been deemed as, oh, you don't, you use a gel or a foam and cleanser or something like that these days. And I was like, right. let's go back to basics. Let's get something that looks aesthetically cool and try and change people's behavior and get them using this particular type of product and, um, and make it look unique when it's sat on the shelf. So that's why I opted for bar soap. So in the development of the product, so I actually bought a lot of um, ingredients uh, online. Um, Charcoal, which was at the time was a very um, up and coming ingredient, and the unique thing about charcoal is the um, the particles of charcoal are super super absorbent, and they lift all toxins and dirt from the surface of the skin. Um, tea tree oil, I don't know if you know when you were a kid, but everyone yeah. would tell you tea tree oil was great for spots and breakouts, and I used to use it when I was a kid, and I thought I wanted to get that into the product, and then also to counteract the thought about the product being dry, and was to add shea butter to the product. So there's these three sort of magic key ingredients, um, super simple, and then put it in this bar of soap, and um, so I started making these samples at home. I had this beautiful white resin sink, which was completely destroyed by black charcoal <laughs> making it. And I'll be honest with you, it's not that much fun making it. It isn't fun making soap. But you was making it. Yeah, myself. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I started. So, so I think, look, if you're going to get involved in anything like this, I think you've got to do it firsthand yourself. So at least you know what you're talking about. So I made, so I made the first samples of the product and um, then I'd handed them out uh, at Westfield to my colleagues at Westfield of, of all places. And um, they were like, you know, feedback was fairly good. It's like, it's pretty cool. It's like, you know, you should explore it further. Um, so with that in mind, I approached a manufacturer in Glasgow called Soapworks, who um, were founded by Anita Roddick, who founded The Body Shop. And you literally just, this was all through Google and stuff. LinkedIn, you dropped my line on LinkedIn, right. yep. Um, I said, hello, I've got this idea. So I jumped on the phone with them. I said, I've got this idea to develop this product for sort of Gen Z millennial audience. And as a business for them, same thing. All they do is make soap. But so, even though you at the time, you wasn't, um, in, you had nothing to do with soap before this. No, no, no. <laughs> so on your LinkedIn, it had nothing. Nothing like, to do with soap. No, no, but no. you still managed to get in. Yeah, yeah no, it's, I think it was more about, you know, obviously when I was, I've been working in business development and, uh, and sales effectively. But I think it was more about the fact I got them excited about the concept. And the, 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 the excitement came because as a business, they've been only making bar soap for the last 30 years. And there's been a downturn in, you know, how many people actually use bar soap. So you find bar soap, you know, you go to Sainsbury's, you find it on your grand sink, don't you? But there wasn't that many brands at the time that were, you know, trying to attract a millennial fresh audience. So they saw the value in that and trying to open a new sort of product line that would work with their young people. And then I think when I showed them the aesthetic that I created, um, they got excited about it. So they helped me develop the commercial formulation completely free of charge. So they got all the chemists in there, mixing it all up and getting exactly what we wanted, um, completely free of charge. Do you have to give a big percentage of your no, thing to no, that? No, not at all. Not at all. So, you know, we, we had a wholesale agreement like you do with any supplier. Um, I purchased 200 samples from for 200 pounds. Um, and with these samples, I managed to take these and um, I've created. The, so the, the whole, the magic was with the, the packaging. 
So what I wanted to do with the packaging was create this really clinical aesthetic that made the bar stand up on the shelf, which is something you don't, you've never seen with soap. Wow, yeah, you've never yeah, seen with soap yeah. before. So when people walked into the to boots, so we look at them and go, what's that? that? That looks like it does something. That's like out of a lab that it really does something. So that's what we create with window in the pack and it's a zip bag. So, and the other thing is these millennials don't have soap dishes. They don't know what they are. So it's like with the bag, they can actually put the these bar. Millennials. Yeah, these millennials. <laughs> We're all listening to you. We all have millennials. Yeah. yeah. But these can put, um, you can put the bar back into the pouch and seal it. So you can use it for travel or put it stored right. in the cupboard so it keeps it um, sterile and keeps it clean. So that was the sort of, that was the uniqueness to it. So with that, I, I mocked up some packaging with some stickers that I bought um, and then just some pouches that I bought. And, and then I approached Boots on LinkedIn. And I just said, oh, I've got this ID. And I made a small presentation. And I said, can I come and see you and tell you about it? So that seems so that seems insane that the fact that you've you've literally contacted boots themselves that I, again um so information like this though for for young people listening yeah. millennials listening now is is the fact that sometimes something seems so simple to do but we oh, you would never yeah, think yeah. to just message the person direct do you know what i mean so how what are you typing in linkedin i know that sounds so yeah no, just so, in so, i mean I, boots, I, yeah i um, think for any young person now any young person so, you know forget you know Facebook's great, Instagram's great, but if you know if you're serious about sort of forging a career and what you're doing, you need to have a profile on LinkedIn, and you need to be talking about what you're doing all the time and talking about your achievements and, and promoting that. I do, I do it every week. It's like it's, I love going on LinkedIn and telling, updating people what's going on with the brand, and it's you know the, the positive message that you get in return is so satisfying. It's really really cool. But you know certainly suggesting if you know you're um, coming out of school at 16, you'll get that LinkedIn profile set up because then that's a means to connect with sort of senior business people in whatever environment you want to get into. Okay. Yeah. It seems really uh, straightforward your journey now, and I'm sure there was we're going to the kind of like the ups and downs in that. But um, in terms of you knowing, saying you knew it was soap, but how do you then actually have customers try this? Isn't yeah. that almost risky? Like, well, are, are you promising them that the skin's going to clear? clear no, up? no, no, no. So what what I'm saying is we we compiled a product which was associated with proven active ingredients. So it wasn't, um, I'm not trying to say I've, I've you know, reinvented the wheel or I've created a scientific miracle. What I've done is create a very simple, effective formulation, which was missing from the market. In And, what, and what's quite cool about it is because it's in a bar soap, it's effectively neat. There's no dilution because you haven't got to get it into a liquid that'll mm. come out of a bowl. It's, it is what it is, just in the bar. And then did you find that, was there kind of like a YouTube community built? Because the if you have acne, you're always yeah, going to yeah. be trying to there's forums and blogs everywhere so did you get kind of like a good feedback in that world so well i'll tell you how, how it sort of happened where we the feedback started to come so when so once so i got into boots boots said they thought the product was a, you know was a strong product and they said we'll, we'll give you a go they just so happened to have a category which was called beauty finds which was to enable independent beauty brands to go into boots and get a trial in boots um across 120 stores 180 stores sorry and um you have 12 weeks to impress them so you've got to sell enough in 12 weeks so you're out, or you're out oh, the door. Oh, straight sales. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which so I you, guess you, you're good at from working in sales. Yeah, man, but it's like you've got to be dependent on their distribution as well. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Right. I, you know, I went into um, the day that we launched. We were supposed to be in 180 stores. I think I worked walked into the first six boot stores that like we were in two of those stores. So it's like, you know, I spent a lot of time chasing down boots going, you need to get the product out because I've got 12 weeks to impress you. How am I, you know, how can I do that if it's not even in the store? So we, you, you, know, you do have these challenges. Retail is, is a huge, huge challenge. It's a huge, huge challenge. You never get everything 100% right. Um, but, so the, the product went into boots um, and it, would, it started to sell. And so it started, it was doing a couple of hundred units a week, um, which was great. And then I think it was around three months in, um, we started to get all of these um, young people contact us on Instagram. 
and they had these incredible before and after transformations of, of from using the soap. So kids that have been suffering with like fairly severe breakouts and acne were coming back with like almost like clear skin. Oh, game changer. Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know the product could do that. <laughs> so it's like, really? you know, like legit, <laughs> like absolutely legit. It's like, so when you I'll say there's a bit of luck with it, but you do, I'm a big believer, you make your own luck. But yeah. um, I didn't for one second that the product would be as effective as it no was. No way. So you, so what was you selling it as really? Like you were selling it so more we were, on we were calling the, it the coolness of so no, yeah. no we, so we knew what, what it was. We knew that the active ingredients in that product were good for problem skin, but we called it breakout control. So it's just get your skin as clean as possible and it'll help prevent. What we didn't realize was, is that it could actually cure, so not 100% cure, but it can improve the surface of your skin and improve breakouts. Well, then I guess your advertising's done for you in a sense. Exactly. So this where they started to send us before and after images, this all sort of came through, which was like phenomenal. So this was great. So we had all this, we had all this feedback, this really positive feedback. And we got a friend of ours, Shah, who was helping us out with our PR at the time. And we gave these images and just said, oh, look, let's reach out to the press and see if we can do anything with it. And um, she got in touch with the Daily Mail. And the Daily Mail were fascinated by these before and after images. Um, no wonder you read it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Fair publication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you'll, you'll understand why in a second, because... Um, and I was sat, I, I was, I shouldn't say this, but I used to have all the soap under my desk. And when I used to get an order that used to come in, I used to wrap it up in a bag and take it down at lunchtime and I'd go and put it in the post office. And um, this one day I was sat there and my phone started buzzing. And it was, uh, it was like before lunch, I had 10 orders before lunchtime. I was like, this is mad. Because I would do like a couple of orders a day online, you know. And um, so for me, mate, I said, oh, Stu, who's uh, my business partner, I said, hey, look, we've got a couple of orders coming through here. And then all of a sudden my phone started going ballistic. And I mean, ballistic and this piece had gone out in the daily mail and not only had it gone out in the daily mail it had landed in the section which is called female now the more people that see that piece and then share it it moves up the page and that many people had viewed it and were fascinated by the product it had shot like to be like two below the headline so it was getting so many eyeballs so many visuals so i'm sat there my phone's going ballistic uh, and we did like three thousand dollars in the day before i shut the website down so we had, i just shut the website down and that because i didn't have any more soap boots did Four months worth of stock in three hours and that was that was the start of it so it was like a true like movie moment there where you can't believe it's actually happening and i was sitting there in this hall this just thing was going ballistic what was that that day must have just been it was just what you, you can't I, I, I probably still can't explain it now but i was i was like physically shaking because you think you're like this is actually happening something's actually happening there and then you remember like the hard work that you've done the last six months to get it to this point and this you know i'll be honest with you there was times i felt like crying it was like you know, wow. you, it's all very well and good talking about pulling an idea together and creating a brand and doing it. When it actually comes down to it, when you start messing around with boots and going, oh yeah, I want to stock boots. And then they go, all right, then fill this spreadsheet in with about 50, 50 tables in it and sections in it and give us all your safety if you may. You're like, oh, wait a second. This, is, this isn't easy as it looks. Mm. And, um, you know, you remember that. But then at th that point, that was the reward that, that came with it. And uh, yeah, super, super cool. Amazing. Nice. That is literally something out of a movie, isn't it? Yeah, it was. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think I'm very, very fortunate that, we, that I've uh, got to experience that moment. You know, it's a lot of brands um, that, you know, work really, really, really hard. And, um, you know, I don't know if they'll ever get to feel like that. But fortunately for me, we got that sort of magic. Something mind. tells me you went to the pub that night. <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't, that wouldn't be anything new for me. Okay. But uh, yeah, but I, I did. I think I did. Yeah. But, and, and the company, it sounds like you're always constantly uh, innovating into new things. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the cruelty-free part of the product as well. Is that something you kind of discussed because you knew the way the world's moving? Absolutely. And truly believed in it yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 
I mean, God, I mean, the, those days, I hope, are long behind us. I mean, but it didn't, it wasn't even a, a thought for us that the pro any of the products wouldn't be cruelty free or equally vegan for that matter not that i'm massively passionate about vegans or being vegan but you know that's where the that's where the world is right now and um so you've got to be able to cater for that particular audience um and i think if you're working with good um research and development labs and you know they don't even touch the anything to do with animals um and it's never something that i, I would be involved in and um yeah so the, the brand is it's a super clean brand there's nothing in our products that doesn't need to be in our products um but we've performance first and foremost um so we, we don't call ourselves natural but we're a clean brand um because we're about results and that's what matters to us um and equally we with, the, with plastic we try to use as little plastic as possible um some of the the pouches that we use they have 60 percent less plastic than plastic bottle which makes a massive difference we also introduced a paper wrap bar um so you could refill the refillable pouch that you get with the initial product so, yep, so we're always aware of we're going to improve on whatever we're doing with our social responsibility side of things. Well, what seems interesting with that is if if uh, you're listening to the podcast right now and you are in school, or just finishing school, university, uh, obviously them kind of movements into the way the future's going tend to start at, at that age. Yep. So in terms of someone that wants to actually get into the skincare business, I guess uh, a good part for them would be potentially, how would you feel if someone sent you an email saying you're actually doing these things you could be even cleaner or even we do. More. We, we, we get those. Is that a way in as a job almost? Um, yes, I would say. I mean, what you look, I mean, you, you, we get incredible young people contact us all the time. And, um, as a startup, it's, you know, we'd love to, to take as many on as possible and it's, um, and get young people in the industry. And also for me, from a young perspective, I did an apprenticeship when I left school. So that was a massive thing for me. And I think a lot of young people now, um, who don't feel that, you know, university is right for them, sixth form college is right for them. I think apprenticeships are an incredible route. So that's something we'll certainly be exploring in the future. Um, we are building our team at the moment uh, and scaling up. But I think that at the moment we we need those sort of skill sets which are a bit more established. But I guess from a young person, we have the most incredible young people that contact us who understand the, um, the industry that we're in. They research it very, very well and they always suggest the improvements that we can do. Right. So absolutely, it's, um, you know, we love any, any contact we can have with our audience to, to talk to them about it. Yeah, so Phil, when you was uh, an apprentice, um, you know, what, what, what was it for you that did you always have the business side to you, that uh, side that you saw opportunities and, and wanted to get be a businessman, essentially? Yeah, I think, um, so I mean, it was, it was a thing about growing up in the Northeast where when I went, you know, was at school, no one ever talked about going to university. It was like, you know, we, we were in a big industrial area and it's sort of like you just, everybody just went and got an apprenticeship. So I ended up being um, a precision engineer for five years um sort of by default but you know it was a very enjoyable and i think if anything i think what i really enjoyed about that i really got to understand manufacturing and i really have a passion for manufacturing you know i love watching you know stupid documentaries of how they made this you know i watch how baseballs made or you know they make a golf club or something and i find it fascinating and the um so from that i was always fascinated by it, but it sort of came to the point where um after seven years of being in the industry i was like i don't want to do this anymore and I wanted to get into sales and I saw a job for a trainee estate agent. <laughs> so I applied for this job, you know, and, um, and you know, I think this is a, this was a really good lesson for me because I, I went to this job interview with this guy, um, George Robinson, who owned the biggest um, family owned estate agent in the Northeast. And I sat in this interview with him and he just sat there and he goes, I just don't get it. He's like, you've just been in a factory for seven years. He's like, why do you think you can come here and sell houses? He says, I don't get it. He says, all the best son shook me on and kicked us out the door. And um, I went home and I got a letter two days later and it said, um, thanks for coming, but you didn't get the job. And I don't know what compelled us to do it, but I phoned him up. I picked the phone up and I called him and I said, do you know, sir? I said, you got this wrong, mate. I said, you got it completely wrong. I said, I'm the guy that you should be employing to do this job. And he went, okay, then you start next week. And honestly, 
honestly, if I if I didn't pick that fawn up, I like I think it'd have been a completely different kettle of fish. Wow. And I think that was a huge lesson for me in terms of you've got to be brave enough to pick the fawn up and ask the question. Just ask the question. You've got nothing to lose. What I mean, what they're gonna do? Nothing. So it's like just pick the phone up, ask the question, and be persistent. And that's everything, you know, particularly when you, you know, you're looking at what I do now in terms of working with. I mean, we're fortunate now where brands, you know, retailers are coming to us and want to stock the product. But in the initial, obviously, we had the very, very good fortune with boots, but there were retailers that we spoke to that didn't want us. Um, and then now they're the ones that's coming back saying, Can we have you now? But so we were fortunate boots at the risk on us and that, and that was all good. But yeah, key thing is like persistent and just hard work. Um, you've just got to keep it hundred percent. You know, I've, I don't really get a holiday. I'm on holiday, but I'm not a getters. I'm yeah. always, you know, I'm always checking emails. I'm always on my phone and just trying to operate the whole time that I'm there because you know, when you're the head of the business and you've got a fairly lean team, like we have, you've just got to be on it. And you know, we have shareholders now, so I've got a responsibility to them. You know, we took their money to, to grow our business. So, um, yeah, we just got to be on top of it all the time. As in it's a public traded company. No, no, no. So we, you know, so effectively we have investors who are venture capital company invested in us. Um, so what that enables us to do is start building the team, um, start investing in more stock so we could su supply to more retailers. So, um, yep. So we have shareholders that's in the business. I've got a great relationship with them. It's not very heavily pressurized. It's not like, um, it's not like Dragon's Den or anything where, you know, you know, I sit with them, you know, once a month type thing and just go through the numbers and then, yeah, we work together to grow it. So, and they're very, very experienced guys. I think, you know, that, that's a, a great thing for me is one of our investors, a guy called James Cox, who founded Simba Sleep, the mattress company, the mattress in a box. Um, he's, you know, super, super knowledgeable and what, you know, getting involved with guys like that, they enable you to meet the right people who mm. know how to help you support and shape your business. So the traits you mentioned as well then, are there the traits you'd say that people need to start picking up and work on? Absolutely. I mean, you, you don't get anything, um, in, in life as a, as a whole and professionally, if you don't work hard, you've got to work hard. You've got to do the hours. Don't be the first out the door at half past five, you know, do the hours, um, focus on what you're doing and once you've got that idea you've got to be relentless with it and like I say you know with if you're thinking about getting into retail and thinking about speaking to buyers you've got to be on at them constantly they get so many emails each day from the same type of people telling them they've got the best product that they need to take you've got to have something unique but you've got to be persistent you've got to keep on at them the whole time and then for you just the different job roles you've had kind of over the years before yeah you know CEO so, um, like I say, engineer, um, I was like, selling houses for five years. I was then I was on The Apprentice and then I went to work for um, sports agency, which I loved. Um, so one of the big passions in my life is Nike. I've been obsessed with Nike since I was a kid, since I was, you know, I love Michael Jordan. And through this agency, I got to work with Nike, which was incredible. So um, I worked uh, for sports agency for two or three years. Um, and then ended up working in brand partnerships at a big mall company. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've been around the block, um, but all sort of commercial stuff and building relationships. But you know, the key thing for me is, and I always say this, like the biggest thing that you can do in any industry is personal relationships. You know, build those personal relationships. I work with the manufacturers that we've got. I know that I get favors out of them that they don't give other people because we have a personal relationship and we in touch all the time and we're friends. And when I'm desperate for something, they'll put me in the front of the queue because we have that relationship with them. So yeah, building relationships is absolutely critical. You know, you mentioned uh, different opportunities for young people to get into rather than university. Yep. So say for yourself, like as a personal brand as well, with a show like The Apprentice, would you recommend that to someone else? Like how, like, <laughs> does that help you? Maybe that might've helped your LinkedIn profile in terms of yep. exposure. Would you say that's, did you, if you wasn't to go on that, could you have still done what you're doing? And would you recommend someone to use more of themselves as the face of? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, 
listen, I'm not going to lie and not say that that hasn't helped us at any point. It's um, one of the things I, I don't use the apprentice in anything that I do now. It's um, I think is a I think it's potentially detrimental to the business. If anything right. else, um, I think in the initial, I think absolutely on LinkedIn having that profile certainly certainly helped, and I think that was with irrespective of you know trying to get into boots or just even applying for a job when I was you know a few years ago. Um, it's a really interesting experience, Apprentice. Um, would I recommend anybody doing it? No, I wouldn't recommend anybody doing it. I think if anyone's really serious about, um, you know, building a business and doing that, I don't think the Apprentice is a real way to go about it. I think, um, yeah, listen, the, the, the short stuff, it's set up for you to fail because that's what's funny. You know, when people cockshoe or young people fall flat in the face, that's, that's what's funny about it. You, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what's funny about it. So it's, um, it was an incredible experience for me. The best thing that I ever did. Um, it was an incredibly hard um, experience. It's, you know, it's draining, you know, you, you know, you're sleep deprived. Um, you got to ask where to go to the toilets. It's this whole thing around, they want to get you as stressed as possible and as uptight as possible. And they want you clashing with the other people in the team because that's what makes good TV. And it's only when I look back on it now, it's, you know, I don't want to be a bit of a down on it, but it's like a super, super manipulative environment that I wouldn't encourage anybody to go into. Um, it's a TV show first and foremost, and that's all they care about. They're not, they're not interested in what comes out the other side of it. But from that perspective, I'll say what I did learn from that was about that whole process of going through and creating samples um, and approaching um, buyers in companies. And I think that showed me that it was possible to do it on a very, very small budget and that you don't have to invest, you know, invest 20 or 30,000 pounds into creating something. You could probably do it for, you know, 500 pounds. Yeah. And have a product that you can take to someone and say, off you go. And I think interesting, I think when you talk about soap, that was one of the other things. It was such, such a low-cost product that was very low-risk. You know, if I'd gone into boots and they said they didn't want it, then I didn't have to, you know, it was fine. I'm turning a pound out of pocket. So I, can live, I can live with that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Interesting. And even then, you kind of mentioned it might not have been the best experience you had gone through. So was there any other kind of hardships you've had along the way? And even kind of, I guess, after that show, it must have been quite hard, like, mentally for you to move on to something else because you're this apprentice star. Well, do you know something? I think it's... Um, when I went, because I mean, this was like over 10 years ago that I was on it, it was like 11 years ago. And um, at that time, there wasn't any Only Wears Essex or I'm a Celebrity. It was like a big thing. It yeah, was like a big, big yeah. thing. Now, I'll be honest with you, for the year after. You loved it. I loved it. Okay. I, I, man, I, I didn't work for a year. I didn't work for a year. Did you actually? No, I didn't, didn't work for a year. I was doing TV and magazines and just all sorts of nonsense and just getting paid for it, which was, you know. And I've, Dreamy, I've, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been working since I was 15, do you know what I mean? And like, doing an engineering apprenticeship in a dirty factory for five years when I left school. So it's like, you know, once you dropped into London, you've been given a bit of cash, you don't have to go to work. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> Went on holiday and things like that. But then the reality starts to bite. You go, actually, I need, I need to find a job now. And what's interesting is the perceptions that people have about you um, from being on the show, that was that was really difficult. Because I remember I wanted to try and get into the commercial side of football. And I remember going for interviews with like Fulham and these guys like that. And when I walked in there, it was like, the, the, when they were interviewing us, they were like acting like Alan Sugar. They felt the need to really try and like give you a hard time. And they'd already asked, they'd already made their mind up about who I was as a person. They were like, oh, they, they said, oh, because you're like this, aren't you? Because we've seen you on the TV. And I'm like, no, like you saw a television show. Mm. That's not how people act normally. You know, you're put in a very highly pressurized environment um, and you will, you know, with a bunch of idiots, you're gonna you're gonna kick off. Well, I did. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, no, like, no, of course. But that's you know, but that's the thing about the show. It's like it's it's not a true reflection of whose people's personalities are. And I know people I went into that. I was fortunate that I came out and had the 
the the luxury of like making some money and you know and chilling out. I know people that came off the back of that, quit their jobs to go on it, went out in the first couple of weeks, then they came out and they're just like in no man's land. It's uh, you mean you know, and I hate to say you know you look at all this stuff like in reality TV and all these like tragic things that we're seeing. This is just a reflection, you know, the the usually kick you out the other side, and then people don't know where they are. And if you don't have this, if you're not in the headspace where you actually go, do you know something? This is a fleeting moment. I'll have me five minutes of fame, and then I need to go and find something. Some people don't get that. Mm. They they getting the money. They think they're going to disappear, and it's going to continue and do it. And then all of a sudden, it's not there, and then they go and wait there. Why doesn't anyone like us anymore? So they got in touch with us um, a couple of weeks ago. The Apprentice. I said, oh, just to let you know, we're going to be doing a best of highlights uh, show. Um, this is a courtesy to let you know. I just went back and said, no. I said, you're not putting me in this TV show again. I said, this was 11 years ago. You can't just keep reeling out the same old footage because you're getting paid off the BBC for it. It's like, I've got a, I've got a career. Like, I've got investors. You can't have footage of me acting like a moron on TV for someone did 11 years ago in a really manipulative environment and think it's okay to do that. Mm. So, yeah, word of warning. Yeah, uh, looking at getting these reality things, man. So I guess that kind of shows, in a way, that when you are starting a business, there's different ways to go about it, and that's quite a short-term, yeah. real spike yeah. in your career. But the long-term side of that is, is there kind of some advice you'd give for understanding that your business might not have... For two years, someone might look at you and be like, you got lucky, for example. Yeah. Someone might say that. Um, but what's the kind of average expectancy that someone can think, if I start my business today... How long until I'm actually going to be able to yeah, do that full time? It, I mean, it's a, how long's a piece of string, really? Right. It's, look, it's you know, I I hate to say it, but you know, you I see some stuff that's out there now, and brands that aren't particularly strong creatively or from a product perspective, and I look at that and I go, you know, you're going to really struggle. You're going to you're going to really really struggle. It's about having an idea which you're you're confident in, you believe in, and you've also run it past people who maybe know something a bit more about the industry because what i'll never do is i mean whilst i'm a big you know supporter of entrepreneurs and um people going ahead with ideas and and trying things you know the amount of people that risk everything and put everything on the line for it and financially as well you know you can't just genuinely believe that you've got the best idea that's gone you know and it's like that's what i was talking about i was you know i'm relatively risk averse from a financial perspective that's why i chose that particular model to go down because it was right. cost effective to do um you've got to be confident in your idea and you've got to do that research you've got to and you know you've got to understand that there is a market for your particular type of product and like i say for us we were technically an overnight success really um but you know there's there's, there's brands that I see that are really cool brands um, that have been going like 10 years longer than us. They were doing half the turnover what we do now. So it's like, there's no, there's no tried and tested yeah. means. It's just whether, you know, your product catches fire. And I think unless you've got huge amounts of money, I think it'd be difficult to replicate what we did. We had a, we had a bit of magic. We had a bit of, a bit of magic and a, and a massive bit of luck that, that helped us because we didn't have the budget to go out there and spend loads on marketing and do anything like yeah. that. So that magic worked for us. There was a product that worked and, and that happened for us. And, and in a time like this, it would be for many companies, they're probably struggling. Well, we've been speaking to people in this podcast. It's a hard time for their industry. But in your industry, maybe I'm just assuming here, but soap, staying clean, like are you killing it at the moment? Um, yeah. I mean, what I would say is that is that lockdown for us, I hate to say it was the best thing that ever happened to us. Um, we had... Uh, well, what, there was two, there's two parts to it. So 
obviously we stocked in in boots in the uk um and several retailers in the us uh, sorry we all debut in the us and um priceline in australia so we've got we sort of across three continents in the uk um with boots our purchase order value dropped 70 percent so the money that was coming in was 70 percent less from boots on the basis that they took our products offline because all they could support at the time was delivering paracetamols and nappies and milk right so they basically didn't have the, the staff in the warehouse because of social distancing to ship anything else apart from these key products, which, which is understandable. So you gotta, when you think about it in respect, we effectively exclusive with Boots. You know, we're not in other big retailers because we, we like working with Boots, but you know, that was a big shock to us. So we'd have been in a bit of trouble. Fortunately for us, our e-com site, so carbontheory.com, basically quadrupled overnight. So the, the money that we were spending on advertising digitally, all of a sudden had like a, you know, quadrupled its audience because all these people sat at home on furlough or you know working from home on Instagram and Facebook and um, and then sort of convincing themselves that they needed to buy buy something I and mean, I bought a lot of nonsense when I was yeah, sat at yeah. home you know everybody did unfortunately for us a lot of people were going out there and were, you know thinking about self-care and the skin and the amount of people that suffered with breakouts and being just locked in the house and the stress of it all so we were in a very very good position um we were set up for it we'd had a big stock drop just before um COVID dropped so we did very, very well in that period. Um, the US has been consistent, it's been pretty well, but we have seen the effects in Australia. Australia's having a very, very difficult time. So our, our retail in Australia, where we were flying over there, um, they've got Melbourne still like in lockdown with curfews, and it's very, very tough over there at the moment. Right. Very, very tough. So it's, it's got its challenges, particularly in supply chain now. So, you know, things like bottles and caps that we use for our moisturizer, which you completely take for granted, and you think you can get them whenever you want. Half the world bought them to put sanitizer in them. So we couldn't get bottles for our moisturizers or any caps. So what do you do in that? Beg, had to find a different supplier. Beg, steal and borrow. So, you, you know, we just go all over. So it's like we get them from China. Like we usually get them from Europe um, or the US. So, you know, I'm going at the Alibaba and looking for bottles. Wow, in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've got to get back down to it and just go back to square one, how it all began. So we, we usually get all these supplied by our manufacturers. But sometimes you just got to go, oh, what did I do in the first instance? I was looking for bottles. So you've got to go and find the bottles, go and find the caps. Um... Yeah, so that's been an interesting one. So we the, hopefully now it's settling down a little bit, but supply chain has been a huge, huge issue for us. Let's get some uh, real practical advice for those that want to get go into the skincare industry or beauty industry in a wider kind of view on it. Um, it kind of reminds me of an industry like the fashion industry where you have you can have such a great idea, but getting it out there to actually work. So what's some real key, you, you said loads of great stuff here, but some real practical advice for someone listening to tomorrow or today, actually, just do straight away. Yep. I think if you, you know, I think what you've got to do is you've got to be really, um, from a from a work perspective, I think if you can spend some time in like a great lab somewhere or um, one of the big, not necessarily a big manufacturer, but an independent manufacturer and spend some time just learning the ropes inside and working with that, you know, what ingredients have got and what active ingredients and how formulations are put together and just being in the environment and looking at packaging options. I think that's a great way to start. I think um, any young person that's really keen to get into skincare is that that would be the perfect environment to start on you know, getting that knowledge around how you pull brands together and pull these products together. I think um, from a, a product perspective and um, brand perspective, you know, look at what's out there. Um, look at what's selling well out there. You know, take a little bit from each one. You know, understand what people are doing. It's not stealing. It's just being creative and understand. You know, be confident that you know when you put something out there, there's an audience already for that. But also to try and create, you know, your unique proposition. What's the USP about your product? 
what have you got that's different to everybody else and i think that's the most difficult thing in skincare now because well, what hasn't been done yeah, do you know what i mean yeah. what hasn't been done so it's about brand and then but it's also about trying to find that unique product that will work for you um yeah awesome nice one that was wicked <laughs> that was awesome though thank you man Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We appreciate you. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And of course, follow our social media channels at Westfield London and at Westfield Stratford City. On the next podcast, we are going to be joined by Judy Jew, award-winning Korean chef, TV personality and founder of Soulbird.